Okay, let's generate our motivation. So one way to uh, synthesize the Buddha's teaching, there are several ways of doing it, is to say, be of great benefit to living beings and at least don't harm them. So this involves the regular Vinaya practice, the Bodhisattva practice, the Tantric practice, and all of them are based on ethical conduct, knowing what to practice, what to avoid, what are the causes of happiness, what are the causes of suffering. And then practicing that accordingly with a motivation that respects ourself and others and, yeah, respects ourself, respects others, cares about the happiness of ourselves and others. So tonight we'll be talking about the law of karma and its effects. that deals very explicitly with what to practice and what to abandon, and is very practical for our lives in terms of not harming others and in benefiting them as much as we can. So in order to benefit them completely, we want to become fully awakened Buddhas so we generate the bodhicitta and do our practice with that motivation. And really think how all living beings will benefit from your practice. Even we're sitting here listening to teachings, in the long term it becomes very beneficial for other living beings. So let's appreciate that. So when we say the law of karma and its effects, it's a law in the sense of the law of gravity or physics laws. It's not a law that somebody made up. It's uh, a natural law in the sense of it's uh, a natural way in which things function and things relate to each other. So really take out of your mind all the Judeo-Christian things of God setting up, you know, the rules and us trying to figure out the rules and then God judging us and getting reward by going to heaven or punishment by going to hell. Take all of that stuff out of your mind because 
that is not at all what the Buddhist practice or the Buddhist description of karma and effects is about. Okay. And I say this because working with Westerners, it's there in the mind, and you know, for many people, it keeps coming up and really obscuring uh, the meaning of the Buddha Dharma, even to the point where people, uh, you know, they feel frightened or they feel heavy and burdened, and that that's not the way. That's not the Buddha's intention at all. Okay. And so what we're talking about here is we're going, right now we're going through the ten non-virtues. Um, these are not rules that the Buddha made up. Yeah, The Buddha just saw, okay, when sentient beings do these actions, it brings suffering results. And for that reason, these actions are called non-virtuous. Okay, just... Uh, in relation to the kind of result they bring, okay? That's why they're called non-virtuous. And nobody made it up, and nobody's going to punish us, okay? And we're not bad boys and girls, and we don't need to feel guilty, yeah? But what's important is when we care for our own welfare and we want ourselves to be happy, then we want to avoid negativities and create virtue, yeah, we want to purify negativity so that have already been um, created. Okay, and it's because we want to be happy, and because we want to contribute to the lives of other living beings in a useful way. You know, we're very social animals. We are always in relationship to other living beings, and we depend a lot on them for our happiness, just to stay alive. And so we care about them, and we, we also don't want to harm them. When we create negativity, we harm others, and by doing so, we harm ourselves. Okay? So last time, uh, we started with the three um, physical non-virtues. So we talked about killing and how each of the non-virtues has four parts, a basis, an attitude, an action, and the completion. And the action um, involves correctly identifying the object that we're acting on, having an intention, and um, and there being an affliction of in, uh, affliction involved. Okay, so we talked about killing. Now, killing doesn't mean just killing. Okay. So to commit the full act of killing, you kill a living being and you have all four of those parts, okay? But the precept of killing also includes beating people, punching them, uh, assaulting them, any kind of physical violence against somebody, okay? So don't think that it's just killing that's negative, but you can beat somebody to a pulp, and as long as they don't die, it's okay. No, you know, these, these also are negative actions. They don't um, make up the full, act, you know, non-virtue of killing, but 
we still create a lot of, uh, you know, detrimental karma through physical violence. Okay. And this pertains also, you know, not only harming somebody physically ourselves, but telling other people to, to beat or kill or assault somebody else. And rejoicing when we hear about other people doing it. Okay. When we talked about stealing, it doesn't mean, like I said before, breaking in someone's house in the middle of the night. And it doesn't mean just, uh, you know, taking things from your workplace uh, that your employers haven't given you the, the go-ahead to take or to use. But it includes um, destroying other people's property. Okay, damaging other people's property because although we don't come in possession of the broken property, we're definitely depriving others of uh, the, the things that they need for their livelihood. Okay, and so this, uh, you know, when, when you look at, at the the pro, um, protests that have been going on, when you see the actions of uh, the people who are rioting and not protesting, then killing takes on another meaning, you know, also for the police that are beating, you know, and the protesters, if they're hitting anybody, most of them aren't. Um, stealing takes on a wider meaning if you're trying to deprive others of their property, um, you know, defacing it, burning it, destroying it in some way, okay? So uh, in all these things, we don't just take, say, think, oh, I've heard that word, I know exactly what it means, but really think of it in a very, very broad way of, of how that works, you know? Similarly, cheating people, you know, overcharging people. Yeah, that's forms of stealing, not paying taxes and fees that you're supposed to pay. Yeah. So there's many different ways of, of stealing that are not always called stealing in regular society, but actually fit the definition in karma, when we're studying karma, of what stealing is about. And so to be careful um, with borrowing things, yeah, or using things that are not ours. If we have a close friend and, you know, we're going to borrow their sweater or something like that, and we know the person well and we know that if we ask them, they would say, sure, fine, use the sweat, sweater. And, you know, and they're not around to ask. We can take the sweater, leave them a note saying that we've borrowed it, use it, and then bring it back. Okay. It, writing the note is very good because they may come back to their room and the sweater's not there, and then they don't know what happened to it. Okay. But in terms of... Uh, like Sangha property, we don't just go and, and take things from the storeroom. We don't take things from the kitchen. 
uh, that belong to the community unless they've been put out for everybody to share at a particular time. Yeah, and we don't give sangha property to guests unless, like we have a, a policy here that we give gifts to different guests and we've already as a group given our permission, you know, for people to be able to do that. Okay, but we don't just think, uh, you know, oh, uh, you know, so-and-so would really like this thing in our closet, and uh, I want to give them a gift, and we just go in the closet and take it and give it to them, you know, because especially if they're a personal friend, that's not the thing to do. And with using sangha property, if you go to a monastery, especially they, people need to be careful about that, yeah, um, Ask before you use things. You know, we've had cases of people going into the storeroom and taking pillow slips and different things like that. That's, that's, we shouldn't do that. You know, I don't think we'd go into a stranger's house and go rummaging through their linen closets to get something we need. So you ask one of the monastics for help to find whatever you need. Okay, if you're doing a cleaning job, ask people where the things are. Yeah. Uh, don't just go rummaging around and, and then, you know, say, oh, well, here, here's some of this stuff, and I could use this at home, and this bottle's almost empty, so I'll take it home and use it. Uh, no, okay? Things that are sunk of property, it's, it's very important to be careful with that. You know, and the same thing with um, money in the Donna baskets to make sure that it's collected after activities. Uh, you know, we don't take it and use it for some, you know, we have to use things for the purpose that people give them. Yeah. Okay. Then the next one is uh, unwise and unkind sexual behavior. Okay. So these are all describing the ones for, for lay people. For uh, monastics, this one is celibacy, but in general for lay people, it's unwise and unkind sexual behavior. So the basis is the partner of another person. Okay, So you may be single, but you go with the partner of another person. Or you may be in a relationship and you go with somebody else. So you're, you know, breaking the trust between your present partner, okay? Um, so the partner of another person or betraying your own property, uh, your own partner. Um, someone who does not consent, okay? This means rape. It means sexual molestation. It means sexual harassment. It means... You know, somebody has not consented, somebody has not invited, somebody does not appreciate the advance, and uh, you push yourself on them, okay? So this is coming, uh, you know, in the public sphere the last few years with the Me Too movement. It's been really coming out and being discussed a lot. In... Ancient Indian society, as in many societies in this world, and even in, you know, Western society, yeah, 
so often women are just seen as sexual objects and objectified like that. And many men, you know, in the culture feel that they can just, you know, grabs. Well, we heard it from the president on his, uh, you know, a few days before the election. You just grab them by the mm-hmm, and they let you do it and you do what you want. Uh, no, okay, that that is unwise and unkind sexual behavior. We have to respect the integrity of other people's bodies, you know. And just being in a room with somebody does not give you permission to start touching their body, okay? Or to make sexual comments about somebody. Yeah. Um, okay, so someone who does not consent. So being quite careful with that, with that one. Okay, somebody who is celibate, clearly you don't want to help them you know, or force them to break their celibacy precept. Uh, somebody who's in a, a close relative or a child, okay? So, uh, you know, and and they also say somebody who is, uh, how did they put it in the text? Somebody who is under the guardianship of somebody else. So what it means is it, it may be a child, but it may be a teenager, you know, the point is this person is being looked over by their parents or taken care of by their parents. And so even though they may be sexually developed, you know, because they're in the care of the guardianship of their parents, uh, that's not a person to have sexual relationships with. Okay. Yeah. Close relative, any kind of incest going on. Uh, if you're in a relationship, going outside that relationship. So whether the person you go with is single or not, you're in a relationship. Yeah. Have in, having intercourse in a temple or a monastery or near your teacher or near the sangha. Okay. So those are the kinds of things that are, are listed in the text. Um, I think we have to add some other uh, things to it, yeah, that may not comprise a full transgression of this precept, just like borrowing things and not returning them isn't... Uh, you know, forgetting to return them is not a full break of, of the stealing and slapping somebody isn't a full break of, of, of uh, killing. But I think uh, talking about pornography, yeah, and I've talked to a lot of people who have a lot of trouble with pornography, yeah, and it becomes addicting. It... Um, it, it's objectifying other people and making them into sexual objects. So that person, you know, whether you're looking at child pornography, adult pornography, I don't care, you know, cat pornography, <laughs> it, it's objectifying another living being 
So all they become is a sexual object, you know? And human beings are living beings. They have feelings, yeah? Engaging in porn uh, doesn't see them as living beings with feelings. How are you going to cultivate love and compassion and bodhicitta if you look at porn? Yeah? If you like looking at porn, and these people are not people, they are simply sexual beings there for your entertainment and your pleasure. How are, in the world are you going to cultivate compassion for them? How are you going to cultivate bodhicitta that wants to lead them to full awakening when in the perspective of somebody who does porn, they're just, you know, they're like this. Yeah? Not a human being with feelings. Yeah? So I think that's something to be, to be quite careful with. Yeah? Because it's, it's a really uh, big industry nowadays. Yeah? And, um, you know, and then, and this is an interesting one, prostitution. In ancient India, you know, um, if... <laughs> I was at a teaching, one of my teachers was teaching, you know, straight from the book. Okay, so one of the things that was unwise and unkind sexual behavior is if somebody else pays for the prostitute, but you sleep with her. I nearly went through the ceiling when I heard that, you know, because this one of unwise and unkind sexual behavior, it varies according to culture. In ancient India, you know, going the men just went to prostitutes. There, many of the um, um, what did you call that? It starts with a C. Not courtesans. courtesans. They were disciples of the Buddha, well respected disciples of the Buddha, but they were courtesans. Okay, so in in that society, that that works. In our society. Yeah, prostitution um, is very dangerous for the women, incredibly dangerous. So many prostitutes get beaten, they get murdered, they get harmed, okay? And it also, um, you know, many people say, I chose this profession, it's, there's, it's legal, it's fine, I don't mind it at all, but I've never heard anybody say, I want to grow up to be a prostitute. Yeah? So whether this is male prostitution or female prostitution, because there's boys that are picked up and used as prostitutes as well, uh, all this kind of uh, behavior I think becomes quite demeaning for the other person, and especially in cultures where um, if the family is very poor, they will sell their daughter into prostitution in order to get money for the family because they don't have any money and they don't even have the money to feed her. Okay, so why participate in 
something like that, yeah, that traffics people, that sells people, that puts the girls or the boys uh, under the control of a pimp where they have no freedom, yeah, where they have to turn over so many tricks every day, give the money to the pimp, they have to do the sexual acts that the pimp tells them to do, yeah. So it may be legal and so on, but what does that do to the minds of the people, especially the ones who have been sold into um, prostitution, who have been trafficked, okay, who have, uh, who have drug problems and they become prostitutes to pay for their drug problems, you know, is that really a way to contribute to happiness in this world? And also, what about your own self-respect? Okay. So I think, you know, because nowadays, I mean, my generation started it. If it feels good, do it. But if, if you really think, and I've talked to a lot of people, and many times the things people regret are these kind of actions. Or, you know, going to bed with somebody that they didn't really care about. Or, you know, also included, this may not say it here, is uh, having sexual contact where you don't use proper protection so that either you or the other person could get a sexually transmitted disease. You know, if you don't take care when you're having sex to protect yourself or the other, where's your compassion? Yeah? How, how are you going to meditate on compassion after that? And, and make your meditation totally unrelated to your life where you're, you know, not taking proper precautions and you may have an STD and you infect somebody else or they may have one, they infect you. Okay? So these things, we, we have to look beyond uh, just the... Uh, the glitter of sense pleasure. I remember when we were having one of the, maybe it was a conference of the Western Buddhist teachers with His Holiness. And so this kind of thing came up because there were teachers sleeping with their students and, you know, everything. Um, but, what was it? Uh, oh, and uh, so somebody asked about this thing of, well, what happens if you just hook up with somebody? It's consensual. You're consenting. They're consenting. You may not even know the person's name. You may not know anything about them, but you're both agreeing to hook up, okay? And so somebody uh, brought up that issue, and... And then another Westerner said, well, Thich Nhat Hanh, when he talks about this, this um, of one of the non-virtues, he says it's having sexual relationships with somebody for whom you have no affection. 
Yeah. So just random sexual relationships, hooking up, this whole kind of thing, then according to Thich Nhat Hanh, that would be a transgression of this. And His Holiness commented that according to the scriptures, if it's consensual, it's not a transgression. But when he thinks about it, he thinks that what uh, Thich Nhat Hanh said was right. Yeah, that sexual relationships should be between people who have some kind of affection and some kind of feeling of responsibility towards the other person. Okay, so here you can really see how, uh, especially for defining this particular one, it's going to vary from one culture to the next. Yeah, in um, in Tibet, they uh, they didn't they they practice polyandry. In other words, one woman could have many husbands. In Tibetan culture, perfectly fine. A woman's married to many men, you know. In some cultures nowadays, you know, they accept it. A woman, you know, uh, a man is married to many women, you know, polygamy. So in cultures where that's accepted, that would not be uh, a transgression of the precept. But in cultures where that is not accepted, yeah, then having more than one wife or more than husband, one husband would be a transgression, okay? So this one in particular, you have to see what the cultural standards of the, of the country are, or the land. Okay, then the attitude. Part A is correctly identifying the person with whom you wish to have intercourse. So if you have, want to have intercourse with this one, but you mistake them and have intercourse with somebody else, it's not a full one, okay? Um, you know, that's providing the other person who is okay with it, okay? Okay, and then any of the three poisons. So this one is usually uh, transgressed with attachment, you know, you're sexually aroused. However, okay, so it, it could be attachment, using others for your own sexual pleasure without caring for their feelings, okay? It could be angrily raping the partners or children of an enemy. That's what happens a lot in war situations. The women of the opposing, uh, of the enemy are raped. It's actually a way... It not only degrades the women, but it's a way of uh, making the men look bad because they can't protect their own women. Okay, It could also be ignorantly thinking sex is a high spiritual practice, that it's chick uh, to have an extramarital affair, or that having protected sex isn't necessary uh, even though there's the possibility of sexually transmitted diseases. So you can see, you know, this can be uh, uh, broken with the motivation of attachment, of anger, or of, of uh, ignorance. Okay. Um, also included in here should, I think, we're talking about objects, is animals. 
you know, because in some cultures and some situations, and there's a story in the Vinaya about one monk who I won't tell you. But uh, yeah, that I think is to be abandoned too. Okay, the action is the meeting of the two organs and the completion is pleasure is experienced. So climax is not necessary. It just has to be pleasure being experienced. Okay. Usually when we teach this one in, in the Tushita courses in India, you have all the young travelers, people who are in their late teens, early 20s, raging hormones. And you, you try and teach this, and it's like the discussion goes on for days and days. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, can we finally get to another, you know, another one? Okay, so then uh, now we're, so those are the three ones that we do physically. Then there's four that we do verbally. So lying, divisive speech, harsh speech, and uh, idle talk. So lying. Okay. So the basis is what is seen, heard, distinguished, and cognized, or, or cognized, maybe it should be. And also the basis is what is not seen, heard, distinguished, or cognized. Okay. So uh, you're lying about that kind of topic, you know, something... Uh, uh, something is, but you say it isn't. It isn't, and you say it is. Okay? So uh, you haven't seen something, but you say you did. You have heard something, but you say it didn't. You didn't. Okay, those kinds of things. Um, the person lied to is a human being other than oneself who is capable of understanding. If you lie... To a frog, it's not a complete one because the frog doesn't know what you're talking about, okay? You may not know what you're talking about if you're talking to frogs. Um, okay, heaviest is lying to our spiritual teachers and our parents. Our spiritual teachers, because they're trying to lead us to awakening, and if we lie to them, then, you know, we're putting up fences and barricades and, how are they going to help us if we lie to them? And lying to our parents uh, because of their kindness to us. Okay. Now, who hasn't lied to their parents? Yeah. So, yeah, maybe there's some one very virtuous person in this room who never lied to their parents. Most of us, you know have probably lied to our parents. And uh, not once, but often several times. Okay, And we may have lied to our spiritual teachers as well, because we don't want them to know that we committed certain negativities. Now we want to hide stuff. OK, so then the second point, the attitude. So point A misrepresenting what we have seen, heard, distinguished, or cognized, or their opposites, what we have not seen, heard, distinguished, or cognized. Okay, so basically, you're saying the opposite of 
what the situation is. Okay. Um, B, you know, it, it, this one can also be done by any of the three poisons. So with attachment, we lie to gain something from that person. Or with attachment, we lie to protect our own reputation. Yeah. How many times have we done that? Uh, we can do it with anger. So angrily wanting to deceive somebody else retaliate, hurt their feelings. Or we can lie also out of ignorance, thinking that there is nothing wrong with lying. And then the intention is the desire to make the other person believe what is false. Okay? So lying, again, big thing in our culture. And uh, people do it all the time. And especially now, you know, there's so much um, misinformation that is out there. And there is so much fake news. I find it very interesting. Fake news used to be what the president didn't like. And he called that fake news. Now, many people are calling what he says, fake news, because he so often doesn't speak the truth. Okay? So now, fake news, it's like you, you can point to, to any kind of party or group, uh, you know, and giving out wrong information. And especially in this time, you know, with COVID-19, you know, giving out misinformation, not telling the truth about it, uh, diminishing the danger of the pandemic, um, advocating that people take drugs when those drugs have not been proven to, to remedy the disease or protect somebody from the disease, um, you know, saying that wearing a mask is going to give you the disease or, you know, all kinds of misinformation. So if somebody has, uh, you know, has just heard wrong information but passes it on, you know, unintentionally, they're not intending to lie, you know, it does. it's harmful to the person who hears, but that person hasn't committed the act of lying. There was no motivation. Yeah. But when there's the, the intention to, you know, just kind of mm -hmm, with something to make it look better so that you look better or to make it look worse so that you make somebody else look worse, you know, it's really harmful uh, to other people. I remember when uh, somebody, what was it? Oh, yeah, when uh, the the president was saying, advocating uh, hoxy, hox, hydroxychloride, cortoquin. Okay, so that one. He was advocating it. And there was a couple who had a fish aquarium, and they looked in some of the, the stuff that was used to clean the fish aquarium, and there was 
Hydri, hijack. Okay, so there was that in it, and they took the 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 stuff for cleaning the aquarium, thinking it would protect them from COVID nineteen, and they died. Yeah, so giving misinformation. Yeah, I mean you can. You know, you assume sometimes that people have a certain level of knowledge. That's not always the right thing to assume. You know, after, again, the press suggest, suggested, uh, you know, um, bleach, yeah, or shining a light inside your gut, or... Yeah, you're looking startled. You you were here when. Oh yeah, and you know, and he's kind of putting this out as you know, these could be possible cures for the disease. You know, there are people who would go out and try that, and they so at after he said that, there was so so many of the news reports said, "Do not take this." Yeah. But they found that there was an increase of people buying bleach. You know, I think we watched that spoof on it. Remember, somebody did that various, very hilarious spoof. Rand, Rand, Randy Rainbow, yeah, it was hilarious. But even in there, they they put a thing. You know, do not take this, even though she. She, he, they was joking about taking it. Yeah. Okay. So lying, there's, you know, to look at our lying and why do we lie and what kind of jams do we get ourselves into when we lie? Yeah. You tell one person one story, another person another story. You can't remember who you told what to. The two people that you've told different stories to meet and talk to each other and, you know, and are trying to figure out what's going on with you because you've just told them two opposite things, neither of which is true. Yeah in order to get our way, in order to look good, okay? Lying about, uh, you know, our, our financial investments, lying about how many protests we've gone to, you know. I mean, depending on who you hang around, you, you lie to make yourself look better, okay? You lie to protect yourself, you know? Bill Clinton's big thing, you know, remember? I did not sleep with that woman. No, I did not have sex with that woman. Really? <laughs> you know? And, I mean, that's what he was impeached for, was for the lying. Not for the sex, for the lying. And... If we look how much uh, lying breaks trust, I know for me, if somebody lies to me, it's like I can't trust them again. 
For me, lying is just a really big trust breaker. And half the time when people lie, I don't understand why they even need to lie. Because most of the time what they're lying about, I, you know, I can listen to that. They, they can tell me the truth. I actually find when people lie to me, it's kind of insulting because they're saying, I think that you're a child, you know, and you can't handle the truth. I think you're going to flip out if you hear the truth, so I'm going to lie to you. You know, come on, I can handle the truth. I want to hear the truth. It drives me crazy when people don't tell the truth and when they lie. Yeah? So, I could tell you many, my, my family background about that, but I won't. Um, but that's why it drives me crazy. Um, so I remember some years ago, I was uh, traveling with uh, one of the attendants of one, of one of my teachers. I mean, a whole group of us were traveling. And he, he asked me to carry something somewhere we were traveling. And I found out later that he lied to me. And I like, why did he, I said to him, why did you lie to me? If you had told me the truth, I would have completely understood and I would have tried to help. There was no need for you to lie to me. Yeah. So, and, and in the old days, before answering machines and all this, yeah, Remember somebody called and, and you were busy and so you said, tell him I'm not home. Why can't you say, you know, why can't you say to somebody I'm busy? Doesn't mean you hate them. It doesn't mean you don't cherish them. If you're busy, you're busy. Other people understand. Why do you need to lie and say, I'm not home or blah, blah, whatever excuse we make. Yes? Yeah? <laughs> They didn't seem to be busy back then. Oh. <laughs> no, they were busy back then. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, to, to really check, you know, when we're not telling the truth straight on, what is it? Why do we want to present things as being other than they are? What is in it for us that we feel the need to deceive and trick somebody by lying. Because yeah. uh, like I said, it damages the trust. And you even look, I mean, with the lying that goes on in politics and so on, how it just breaks the trust of the populace when politicians lie. You know, when business people lie, they don't want to disclose what their income is because they don't want to pay the taxes. So that becomes lying and it becomes stealing. Yeah. So that's the thing with lying. There's often something negative that we did that we don't want anybody else to know about. So we lie. 
So the lie becomes double trouble. You have the original thing you did that you don't want anybody to know about. And then you have the lie. So you have two negativities. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to take all, create negative karma, that you, you get two for the price of one here. Okay. So, uh, so it's something to be very careful about. To ask ourselves, what, why do I want to hide this specific action or this specific information? Yeah. Why is it? Have I done something that I don't respect myself for? Have I done something that I'm afraid other people will uh, lose respect for me if they know I did this? Am I lying because I want to hang on to money and wealth and possessions? I don't want to give them up. Yeah. What is underlying the lie? Because, you know, there's one set of aff afflictions for whatever that is, and then there's what's going on with the lying. Okay, so quite, quite damaging. Yeah, and so, it, you know, when we're really going through and meditating on this, there's so many things to kind of pull apart when we talk about lying. Yeah. Okay, the action is speaking, writing, or gesturing what we know to be untrue for personal gain, knowingly misleading others, okay, the heaviest is lying about our spiritual attainments. You might go, why is that so bad? Yeah? Why lying about spiritual attainments? Why is that so bad? Because then people begin to see you as a highly realized being when, you know, you don't know anything. And they trust you. Uh, with knowledge about themselves. They trust you with all sorts of things because they think that you're a, a person who is a good practitioner. And so it's very damaging to people's spiritual faith. Yeah, And when we've seen the scandals that have happened uh, in the Buddhist world about uh, teachers sleeping with students, you know, uh, embezzling money from Dharma groups or misusing finances in Dharma groups. Um, you know, all, all sorts of things, yeah. Um, there's so much lying to cover all of that up. And then there's lying, saying, you know, please make a donation. It's for my temple back in Tibet, where it's really for your own pocketbook. Yeah, so this kind of thing just, it destroys people's faith in the Sangha. In, in, if it's a lay teacher, it destroys people's faith. Um, not only in that person, but in the Dharma. Because then people think, you know, I, I heard the Dharma teachings. They're so wonderful. They're so inspiring. Here's somebody who says that they practice them, but their behavior is awful. So does that mean that the Dharma doesn't work? Yeah. And how am I going to know if I meet another teacher that that teacher is really telling me the truth when the present teacher I've had 
has been lying and presenting things as being very different than they are. Okay? So this, that kind of lying in a spiritual context like that, that can really harm people for many lifetimes. You know, if they get disillusioned with the Dharma because of that uh, and lose faith in the Three Jewels, it's very damaging for them for a long time. Okay. All four verbal actions uh, are paths of actions, whether we do them for ourselves or tell others to do them. Okay, so telling people to lie, encouraging people to have divisive speech and so on. You know, well, this is, yeah, with most of them. Not all of them, but, but most of the ten, if you tell somebody else to do it. Uh, it's also an infraction on your part. Okay, then um, the second of the speech ones, the fifth of the ten, is divisive speech. So the basis who we're acting with, people who are friendly, or people who are disharmonious, and we make them more disharmonious. Okay? So the attitude is, uh, you know, basically what's going on with divisive speech is some people are harmonious, and we don't like that they're harmonious. We want them to not trust each other and to quarrel and to not be friends because sometimes we will get something out of it. We may be jealous, yeah? Somebody we like now has a new friendship with somebody else. We don't want them to have that friendship, so we want to destroy it, you know? hopefully so that that other person will come back and be friends with us or just out of retaliation or, uh, you know, the kind of vocabulary going on in the country now in the public discourse, you know, accusing other people, trying to separate people in different groups, creating disharmony in the society deliberately for one's own personal gain, yeah? So whether you do it in terms of a society, whether you do it in terms of different groups, whether you do it in terms of uh, two people's relationship, you know, causing quarreling, lack of trust, disharmony uh, among people who are friendly, or people who are already not friendly, who are disharmonious, and you make sure they don't reconcile. So that's also divisive speech. Okay, so the attitude, first part, you have to correctly identify the people that you want to separate. Yeah. And then again, this can be done with any of the three poisons. So with attachment, wanting a couple to split up so that you can be with one uh, member. Or uh, criticizing a competitor so that you will get the promotion to close a deal. Okay, so, uh, you know, uh, you're, there's a, a promotion coming up in the office 
and you say bad stuff about a colleague to your boss uh, so that your boss doesn't choose your colleague but will give the promotion to you, something like that. Okay, and then it can also be done with animosity or jealous, jealousy, wanting to stir up trouble. Some people like stirring up trouble, yeah? They really, they get a feeling of, I don't know what, maybe a feeling of power, you know, that they can like just cause, you know, cause kids on the playground to, to, uh, to fight each other, cause, uh, you know, disharmony in any kind of group or working situation. Okay, and it can be done out of ignorance, causing disunity among those of another religion in order to convert them. Yeah. Um, and then the, uh, the intention is the desire to separate or cause friction between others. Okay, then the third part, the action, causing disunity among friends or preventing those who are not harmonious from reconciling. So it doesn't matter whether what we say is true or not true. Okay, we can be saying true things here, but it becomes disharm you know, divisive speech if our intention is to create disharmony, okay? And the worst is causing disunity in the Sangha, yeah, among spiritual uh, practitioners. So you see, I mean, it's so sad. You see scandals in different groups, you know, sexual impropriety, then somebody lies about it, then the people in the group divide into factions, and then they create divisive speech against the other group because they're each siding with different people in the conflict. And it's just like, it's like, you know, once you do one negativity, the, the, the domino effect comes, and it's so easy for, for more non-virtue to, to follow. And then the completion of divisive speech is the other person understands what you have said. If they don't understand it, it's idle talk. Okay? So if you tell, uh, uh, you know, Mudita to go attack um, uh, Upeka, uh, you know, it's just idle talk. It's not creating disharmony. Yeah. Um, when we go through these different ones, yeah, it's very good in your meditation. Really think, first of all, do a kind of life review and look at the kind of things you've done in your life and see how they fall in relationships to these, in relationship to these 10. Especially things where you have a feeling of disquietude in your heart. There's a feeling of dis-ease, of unsettledness when you think about a certain situation that you experienced in the past. See if there's, you know, we haven't gone through all 10 yet, 
But if there's that kind of feeling, see if any of these non-virtues is involved in, um, in that situation or experience you had where, you know, where you, you just don't feel clean clear about it. Okay. And then also um, look at the actions you've seen other people do. Because they say that in samsara we've done everything, we've been everything and done everything. So, you know, there's lots of things when you read, you go, who would ever do that? But somebody must have, otherwise there wouldn't be the caution to, to avoid doing it. Which means also it's possible in a previous life that we did that action. And so then when we do Vajrasattva, when we do the 35 Buddhas and all, just, you know, to think, well, I may have done that action in the past, and if I did, I really, really regret it. And even if I didn't, or even if I did and I purified it already, it's still good to confess it, because it may not be fully purified. And also because if I, if I regret it, then it makes it so much easier for me to, de to generate uh, truthfully the determination not to do that action again. Okay? So this, this is when I see people do actions that I haven't done, but that I consider really like <coughs> disgusting or horrible, instead of criticizing the other person, I think, okay, I done this kind of action in a previous life. I don't remember it, but previous lives are beginningless. There's lots of time. I have all the afflictions and the seeds of the afflictions in my mind stream, so chances are I did it. And then, you know, really develop strong regret and a very strong feeling of, you know, I will never do that again. Yeah? And, you know, when you see people around you doing things or you read things in the, you know, in the paper. And, uh, and you know, this is, it protects your mind from falling into despair. It protects, protects your mind from anger and disillusionment. And it actually helps you develop um, very strong, virtuous resolves to not do certain actions and to do their opposite. And those resolves are very, very helpful because they prevent us from acting in that way later on. Okay. Next one, harsh words. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, these ones of speech, they are so easy, so easy. But lies come out so easily. Harm, oh, divisive speech comes out so easily. Let, let me go back to divisive speech for a minute, because there's one more thing I want to cover with it. Um, I know for myself that sometimes... If I get really mad at somebody, somebody did something, I get mad at them, I want to go tell my friend because I want to vent. And 
if I tell a friend, my, I mean, why are they my friends? Because they'll side with me. You know, I don't want to tell somebody who's going to say, yeah, the other person's right. I want to tell a friend, you know, who's going to side with me. So I may intend to vent, but I may also have the intention to turn my friend against the person that I'm mad at. Because I want my friend to say, yeah, that person who did that to you, who do they think they are? What a beep, beep, beep. That horrible person, and you're right. And then the person I told that to now doesn't like the other person. Okay? So we have to be careful when we need to convent or when we need to confide in somebody or when we need we want to ask somebody for advice to be very explicit with that person about why we're talking to them and to make sure in our own mind there isn't the intention to turn them against the person that we're mad at. Okay? So we may come in, you know, I, I'm really mad at somebody and I want to confide in you and I go to you and I say, I just need to vent. And I'm owning that this is my anger. Yeah? The problem is my anger. The problem is not what the other person did. But I just need to vent my anger because it helps me, you know, see the situation. So please don't think badly of the other person. And so to say that explicitly to the person we're venting with, yeah? Or if we're seeking advice, again, to say, I need somebody to talk to about this situation, but it's to help me um, clarify my mind and clarify my motivation and think creatively about how to handle this. My intention is not to turn you against the other person. I don't want to do that. Okay? So to say these kinds of things very explicitly, um, you know, because that helps us be clean, clear about our motivation. Yeah? And it warns the other person. You know, like, I may be telling you some nasty stuff, but please don't hate anybody because of it. Yeah. And then to be very careful not to exaggerate what happened and not to go on and on and on and, you know, okay, this person did one thing, but now I'm going to complain about the, the things that they've done for the last 10 years, you know. So you need to know that, you know, today uh, they didn't show up for lunch dishes and I had to do the lunch dishes and I'm really off of, about that. And in addition, they didn't vacuum the floor and I had to do that for them too. And they didn't clean the, the cat sandbox and they didn't do this and they didn't do that and, you know, I'm always having to, to pick up after them, and I'm mad, you know. So, you know, be
be careful that we don't just drag out everything that's happened before and, uh, and you know, build a big bonfire of it. Okay. So, harsh words. The basis, a sentient being who will be hurt by your words. So, most sentient beings. Now, the heaviest is abusing your spiritual teacher. Again, because that person is the one you're relying on to, to teach you the Dharma and lead you on the path. And if you, you know, insult and belittle and, and speak harshly to them, how, how in the world are they going to help you? Swearing at a machine is not included. Okay. Uh, yes, I was very glad of that one because when I uh, was uh, in college, I, I had to work to work my way through college. So one of the jobs I had was doing, uh, I, I worked in a psych lab for a PhD uh, student who was doing uh, experiments, yeah. And the experiments, what she was studying, was the, uh, it was a very interesting experiment, okay, uh, was studying, people came in for, for four sessions. In one session, they smoked uh, marijuana, and they had a drink that it was a placebo. The second session, they, or another session, they weren't always in order. They had alcohol, and then they smoked something that was a placebo. The third session, uh, they took uh, liquid THC and smoked a placebo. And the fourth session, they didn't get anything. Okay, and so, and the thing was to test their reflexes. You know, how is their depth perception? How is their reflexes? All these, you know, so we were running a series of tests on them. So we had this machine. You know, one of these machines that you sit inside and they show images and then you have to press a clicker if it's, this or that or the other thing. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? You ever been in one of those things, you know? Yeah, they're, very, they're quite boring, but you know, you get images and like, okay, you have to click this hand when you see something red and you have to click this hand when you see something that's a circle. And so they flash the image and for a short time and you have to click, you know? Okay, so this was one of the, the, the tests, how they test, because they wanted to see if uh, about driving skills, if different kinds of intoxication, how it affected their ability to drive. So we would get people loaded. So sometimes, you know, we would do the, give the people, they would be intoxicated on whatever. Very interesting to see uh, when they had the, the, the two placebos, what happened. Um, but, uh, and then they would go in the machines. So, but we had a machine that was constantly break down. And, you know, these people, it takes time to get them loaded and, you know, and, and everything. So you don't want the machine to break down in the middle of it 
because then you're not going to get accurate statistics. So this machine would break down. So, you know, we tried this, we tried that. It couldn't get it fixed. I kicked it. It worked. So that was how I always fixed that machine. If I kicked it, it would work again. Okay, so I was very glad to hear. So swearing at the machine was not included. And, and also, I think it wasn't included in killing either. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't assaulting anybody. Okay, but it was very tempting to swear at that machine because uh, it was quite inconvenient. Okay, that was a real interesting job. I worked on two marijuana research projects. You know, that one, which was active in a lab, and another one um, that was being done by a psychiatrist that was more a, uh, people had to ask, answer a lot of questions about their use and their moods and their thoughts and stuff. So it was more of a, um, it was a big booklet kind of thing that they had to go through and, and answer questions about. So that's uh, how I got through <laughs> my last year of college. <laughs> I think it might have been my last two years of college. Anyway. Okay. So a little diversionary story to lighten it up. Now, <laughs> since we've been going through all these things, which can be uh, a little bit intense, Okay, so the action, criticizing. Yeah, I think we all know what that is. No. Yeah, but then the attitude, correctly identifying. Oh, yes, thank you. So correctly identifying the person you want to hurt. Okay, so if you speak harshly, to the wrong person, it's not complete. That doesn't mean that there's no karmic effect. It just means that it's not a complete action that will definitely bring a rebirth. Okay, it can be done by any of the three poisons. So with attachment, criticizing others in order to be accepted by a group of people. How often do we join in trashing another person? when a group of people is trashing somebody. How often at your workplace, with your family, with a group of friends, they're criticizing somebody and the way to be part of a group is to join in criticizing somebody. Yeah. And then people say, what do I do when a group is talking like that. Well, I see two choices. You leave. Yeah, you don't need to be a big thing. You just turn around and leave. Or you say to the people, you know, I don't really feel comfortable with the conversation talking about somebody who isn't here uh, critically in, in this way. And you just say what you feel. It can actually be quite good for the whole group to say something like that. It really gets people thinking. And you're just saying how you feel. You're not telling them they're bad people. You're just saying, I feel uncomfortable.
grateful to hear other people being spoken about in this way. Okay, um, it, so harsh words can be done with anger to denigrate the enemy so that others will side with us or to rouse troops to fight. That's the standard procedure in the military is to criticize the enemy, you know, especially to dream up some kind of swear word or uh, put down word and refer to them in that way so that you make them not a human being so that it becomes easier to kill them if you're uh, a soldier. And then ignorantly, we can utter harsh words uh, thinking that we're very clever or witty. That one, you know, when we know people well and we know what they're sensitive about, you know, we can say things that are very clever and very witty. And we know, you know, it looks clever and witty to other people, but we know it's to the other person, okay? Because it's something they're sensitive about. And uh, so we just say something. It looks so innocent, but the motivation is disgusting, basically. Yeah, we want to hurt somebody's feelings. So sometimes we tell people off to their face. Yeah, sometimes we make snide remarks. Sometimes we, you know, glare at them like, you know, you're not even worth talking to. Yeah, so all this, these kinds of things are harsh speech. And the other thing to be very careful of is now since people respond to, to emails and texts so, quick, so quickly, or um, verbal messages, you know, not, not written text, but even verbal, what do they call them, verbal texts? Voice, voice messages, yeah. You don't talk on the telephone. You may you send them a voice message. They listen to it. Then they send you one back. You know, talking on the on the phone and going back and forth would actually save time. But it's anyway. I'm not doing social commentary on that right now. Okay, but it's so easy if we get an email that is annoying to just fire something back and send it. Or, you know, you get a text message and it's, the person's annoying or they haven't been doing something that they were supposed to do. And, you know, you jerk, why didn't you do? Yeah. Or how could you have done? Or, you know, my child who's three years old can do it better than you. You know, and it's so easy to to say these things or message them, you know, back to somebody. Okay, okay, criticizing, insulting, ridiculing. People often uh, ridicule uh, children or tease children, yeah, to make them afraid, 
or ridiculing adults. You know, we know somebody's sensitive about something, and we bring it up and and with a mind to uh, to harm them. Talk about it. Yeah, I do that sometimes with people, but my my intention is more to help them train in not reacting to what I'm saying. Yeah. To see how well they've been working in their practice on that. Okay. So sometimes it's like that. Sometimes I'm mad. <laughs> okay. Ridiculing. Maliciously teasing. Yeah. So this is often with kids. You know, oh, the boogeyman's going to get you. Or, you know, that, you know. That's harsh speech, it's lying, it's, you know, it's harming. Uh, verbally abusing people, you know, calling people names, accusing thing, people for, for doing things, blaming, angrily blaming them for things, okay? Humiliating someone privately or in public in front of others, yeah? making them feel like, you know, they're about this big and, you know, by what you say to them. Okay. And then the completion. So those are just examples. There's other ways to do it. And then the completion is the other person understands what we say. Okay. So... Time for questions? I've been wondering about the action of lying, deliberate lying, mm -hmm. and then people hear you lie and they do an action that brings their death. Would that be an incomplete action of killing? Um, you lie to them. So you lie about something, and then they, they follow that advice, and then they die. And they die. Um, if you didn't have the intention for them to kill them, no, it's not an action of killing. It's an action of lying and an action of stupidity. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you didn't have the intention to take their life or for them to die. Mm -hmm. With the unwise and unkind sexual behavior, with the example here of ignorantly thinking sex is a high spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. So if, if you don't if you just have sex with your partner with that motivation, that wouldn't be a complete action because the object's not wrong. Like one of the one of the objects to avoid, like you would for uh -huh. that to be a complete karma, would that still have to be with an object that's not? Yeah. Well, hopefully, if you're doing it with your partner, you know each other very well, and you would probably know whether that person was a highly realized spiritual practitioner or not. Yeah. So I don't think you would, uh, yeah. I don't quite understand that question. <laughs> Understanding what that means, I mean. It, it means that somebody thinks, they hear about Tantra. There's sexual union in Tantra. You know, this is the highest practice all the tankas show the yabi, not all the tankas, many tankas show, show yab yum, you know, 
And so this is a high spiritual, this having sex is a high spiritual practice. You lose yourself, you cherish the other being. And this person who thinks like this has absolutely zero understanding of what Tantra is about. You know, they just want to have sex and they want to think that there's some big spiritual practitioner when they aren't. Okay? Yeah. My question was around, um, I get that aspect, but here it's very clear that it has to be with an improper object. And I feel like you could... No, not necessarily. I mean, part of the motivation is having that wrong motivation. But for a complete action, it doesn't... Okay, I would think so. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're married for 25 years with somebody, and then you're going to think sex is a high spiritual practice, uh, a high spiritual practice, and you're going to get enlightened? <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe that, but, you know, if you're really talking about someone who is ignorant, who has that view of sex, it's, yeah. No, I was just, um, I can just imagine, like, a person having that view that sex is, is some high spiritual practice and they have sex with someone that's not an improper object. And so thinking, like, would that still be a complete karma? Because, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I was just... You mean it's consensual? Yeah. But what kind of motivation do they have? Why do so often their partners feel hurt afterwards? When they're told, oh, you have sex with me, this is some high spiritual practice, you're going to advance on the path by sleeping with me, and then the other person sleeps with them, and then they kind of go, what in the world? And I guess this comes back to what Thich Nhat Hanh was saying, that to have the level of care for the person, yeah. and if that's absent, then even if it's not one of the other objects, it's still a wrong object. Yeah. Well, it's it's a wrong motivation. If your motive, you know, if your motivation is garbage, the whole action is is negative. Yeah. So it doesn't have to list every single object in these ones. It's not that if an object isn't listed under here that it doesn't count. They're they're giving kind of the general outline of these things but in all of these things you could there's so much debate about different actions of this and that and you can think of many different things and that's the interesting thing to do is to let questions come up in your mind and then to discuss them with your friends you know um so someone says regarding unwise and unkind sexual behavior i read in a lamron book that there are improper times of day to have sex and also improper organs, anal and mouth. Why is this, or does it depend on the culture? Uh, I think it depends on culture, and it depends on the person. This is coming from ancient India, and I think it was uh, specifically Vasubandhu who, who you know, outlined many of these things. I think the ones for different times of day is because in ancient India, everybody lived in one room. Okay? 
And then you're all supposed to go out and work in the fields during the daytime. So you skip working for the fields. You're in the room, you know, enjoying the one room. And then somebody else comes home to the room and walks in on you. It's kind of embarrassing, maybe. Yeah. So I think and you're actually supposed to be out there working in the rice fields or tending to the cows. So this is one reason why there, there could be that kind of uh, thing. Yeah. About the different orifices, orifices, it could be something having to do with cleanliness or health. Yeah. Um, it could also be possibly something cultural. I'm not sure. And then about lying, what if... Oh, so, so some of those things, if people do them, personally speaking, I don't consider that negative, you know? Yeah, it's written up this way because of ancient Indian culture. I'm not saying it's not negative. I don't have the authority to do that. But I would just say my personal view is I would not get on somebody's case for, you know, some of these things. Yeah. Now, would lying be hiding facts, not telling the whole story with the intention to protect life? Would, would the first part, would what? Lying. Would it oh, okay. be hiding facts? Okay, yeah, so sorry, I forgot to mention this. This question always comes up. A hunter comes running up the driveway saying, I want to kill that deer. Which way did they go? You know, so do you tell them? Please, you know, don't tell the truth when it's going to lead to another being getting killed. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You could say, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can say, I'm not going to tell you. You can say, uh, look at the flowers over there. You could say, gee, you're somebody I haven't met before. You know, I'd like to get to know you. Let's have a cup of tea. These kind of situations, we so often we uh, make up situations that are so hard to imagine them ever happening. Yeah? And then you say, is it okay to do that? So this is kind of one of them. Yeah? Like, yeah, somebody wants to kill somebody, and you say, oh, you know, I can't, I'm, can't tell a lie. Yeah, they're right over there. Go ahead. You know? Remember? Nagarjuna's definition of telling the truth, it had to be kind. Yeah. Um, the negative karma from telling someone else to do one of these actions, uh -huh. is that the same as if we did it ourselves, or is it lesser? Uh, it's pretty, they always describe it as being pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, although I think the one about un, uh, unwise and unkind sexual behavior, um, you have to do that one yourself. Of course, 
telling somebody else, oh, it's okay, don't use condoms, you know, I mean, that, that again is, could be, you know, that's a speech action that's quite harmful. Okay. Anything else? Yeah? Okay, let's hear another question. For lying, does the person have to believe the lie for it to be complete karma? For, if for they, lying, if, if, do they have to believe you for it to be a complete karma? If they believe they're telling the truth, is it, are they lying? You know, the, the person who you're lying to, do they have to believe you're lying in order uh, for it to be complete? Uh, no. No, that's the whole purpose of lying. You deceive the other person. Yeah? If they're not, if they're not deceived, you're still lying. <laughs> You know, yeah, if I tell you to drink Clorox and, and you say, oh, that doesn't sound like a very good idea, um, you know, and you know, I'm still, you know, oh, yeah, Clorox, that'll, that'll cure you. Huh? huh? Yeah. Yeah, they yeah they understand what you're saying. Yeah, but you can understand something and not believe it. Right. So they don't have to believe the lie. No. They just have to understand the words. Right. Okay, so we'll stop here. Then you can think of five thousand other questions. Yeah. Like. When you talk in your sleep and you say something that is insulting to somebody else, is it a complete action? Okay, what do you think about that one? Okay. When, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And does it make a difference if, if they know you're talking in your sleep or if they, if they think you're talking without in your sleep? Or what happens if they're hearing in their sleep? <laughs> yeah, then is it a complete action? Yeah, they heard it, it entered their ear, and they start dreaming about it. 